Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. Just speak to our hearts right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can grab a seat. We're doing this sermon series that we call Ask Me Anything. It's an annual sermon series. And I'll just remind you of the big idea for the whole sermon series. We really believe as a church that every honest question deserves an honest answer. Can I define honest question for you for just a second? A couple of weeks ago, some folks contacted me that found me online and they just said, hey, I've got a question. Jeff, would you be willing to do a phone call with me? So in the same week, two people never met before, never talked to them before in my life. They contacted me and I arranged for a 15-minute phone call. Same week, same scenario played out. For 14 and a half of those 15 minutes, they explained to me what they thought the answer to the question should be. And then in the last 30 seconds, they said, what do you think? And I really, really just wanted to say to them, why are we even having this phone call? It sounds like you've already made up your mind. But because you ask, here's my answer in 30 seconds or less. Those don't sound like honest questions to me. Those sound like a setup that you already have in mind what you want to hear as a response. And we have already received many, many questions from people, many really good questions from people. And we're just going to assume on the stage that you really want to know the answer to this. But sometimes I wonder if people are asking the stump the pastor question or actually if they're asking for a question because you want to hear from somebody on stage your agenda, you want us to back up your reply, I make a promise to you, what you're going to get from the three of us is answers from Scripture and the honest answer assuming that you've asked honest questions because I believe, we all believe that honest answers can change your life because they'll change your heart. So I'm going to sit down, I'm going to kind of moderate the conversation, and these questions came in online already, so the first question is going to you, Pastor Troy, and here's how the first question is worded, but I need to give everybody the context for the way that this question is worded. It asks, how can God, air quotes, regret something like the Bible describes in Genesis chapter 6, verse 6? Now, let me just go ahead and put this verse on the screens for you right out of the gate before I turn things over to you. Genesis 6, verse 6 says this, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And this question is asking, well, how is that verse even possible? If God knows everything, if God's in charge of everything, if God's all-powerful, you have five minutes to answer the world's problems. Go ahead. Okay. A brief history of chapter 6 of Genesis is when the Nephilim, the world was like really dark, really evil, and really bad. And thus, God makes this statement about humanity because it had went off the rails. Any sin you could possibly think of and some that you haven't even thought of yet were being committed at this time. So... 
God made this statement in the verse. And what we're really seeing here in this verse is God being somewhat human because he shows compassion, he shows love, he shows anger, he shows frustration. Same things that we feel when if you are a parent, you have kids, you have friends that fall short of either expectation you have on them or failing at a course of, of something that nature. They disappoint you. And this is God saying this statement, making this statement. But really what he's saying is what's going on that you can have regret about an action and not feel that the whole thing is a total failure. Um, it's a saying that goes, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So you have, God can have compassion, he can have love, he can have um, anger at the same time at what was going on, but at the same time, he still loved his creation and who he made, why he made them, and go from there. And that's him making a statement saying that he has regret. In the same way, if you would discipline your, your child or you're disappointed at a friend, you would say, hey, you disappoint me. And you're looking at 2 Corinthians 7 and 10, says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. So God saying that, bringing about punishment on mankind kind of forces us and them um, to repentance. And Romans 2 and 4 says, Or do you despise the riches of kindness, restraints, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? It's kind of more to that, but I'll pick up on it on another question. All right. If that question wasn't hard enough, Pastor Chris, you get the next one super easy, and you get five minutes to answer this super easy question. How can there be sin in a perfect universe. Five minutes, go. That, that's it? <laughs> I, I feel pretty good about this one after having to do evolution in five minutes last week. So how can there be sin in a perfect universe? Well, that probably means we need to talk about what on earth sin is, right? Oh, and by the way, if you're going to ask difficult questions, then I reserve the right for all of my answers to be interactive. Fair? All right. Most of you didn't respond to that, so I don't trust you. But anyway, what is sin? So if we look at the original text and we look at the Hebrew and everything, huh? um, sin actually talks about, we think of it in a cultural context of these terrible things. We know that the wages of sin are what? Death. Hey. I love it. Thank you. So there's a high cost to sin, but what is sin? So we keep hearing, well, the wages of sin are death, so that means they must be super bad and super serious and everything, and they are, but if we look at the original Hebrew, we know that the word sin means to basically miss the mark. Mm -hmm. It's actually a military term, and a lot of terms early in Genesis and other places throughout are military terms because God is about to go, well, for lack of a better term, on the warpath. And we will get to some of that potentially a little later, but sin is missing the mark, or in other contexts, we also talk about that phone is driving you crazy right now. Here, there. I'll hold this. Yeah, there's that. I just need to get a fancy iPad, and then maybe you'll have something bigger to drop. Um, sin can also be literally something against our creator or being separated from our creator. So if we start from the first position, sin is we're missing our intention. What were we created for? And I suppose that would be a good moment to test the audience on 
what were we created for? All right, I heard glorify, which I dig. Um, the other common one you're going to hear is to worship and glorify God. Um, so that means if we're not worshiping and glorifying God, we are therefore sinning or separate or missing the mark. And from the moment of the fall in the garden, which is where we literally got introduced to, hi, God put us on the earth, we were perfect, we're in this perfect environment and everything, but he also gave us free will, which means that from the moment he placed us there, we as human beings had choice. We had the ability to make the decision of whether we are going to live up to our created expectations and be in alignment with God's intention or not. And unfortunately, we found from very early in Genesis that the first humans mm -hmm. chose not. And we ended up where we ended up Genesis 6-6, where everything was broken and dark and everything. So the, the entire issue that we're looking at here is that from the get-go, we were he placed us here with a full intention, but also with the ability that we were responsible for something. And the ball got dropped. And the world kind of went sideways from that moment forward. And we know why, because when suddenly you're separated from the creator and separated from the purpose, we are viewed but nothing but death to him. And that's why this is just so complicated, because sure, God is capable of that perfect creation, and he did so. But the thing that we don't talk enough about within the church and within our own context is we bear a certain amount of responsibility in this relationship. Mm -hmm. And when that moment occurred, we unfortunately entered this place where we, well, people chose wrong, and we missed the mark. And the rest of the Bible and the rest of the story is us reconciling back to trying to get back to where we started, when God provides us that pathway to get us back to where we started. So, as you can see, something can be created in a perfect situation, but unfortunately, we see it every day in our lives that we have intentions when we start with something. But that doesn't mean that that thing's gonna be that way forever. And this is one of the uniquenesses of our faith and our understanding is God could have said, yep, perfect. You're never going to sin. You're never going to betray me. You're never going to turn the other way. But he wanted to ensure that the relationship between his creation and him was one that we chose, not that one he programmed. Mm -hmm. And that's important because sure, God is capable of all things and all things. And he could have just been like, bam, God worshiping robot. Welcome to the team. But God wanted us involved. And the rest of the story unfolds just in that way that even from the moment of fall to the moment of redemption, he wants us to be involved in that process. Here's your phone back. Okay, next question. Um, and this one's for me. If God is all-powerful, and the answer to that part of the question is yes, why would he sacrifice his son? Or, uh, and I want to uh, preface the answer to the question when people ask, can God questions, the answer is always yes. 
if you just leave it right there. Can God do X? Can God do Y? Yes, of course he can. He would cease to be God if he couldn't do what you're asking right now. But where, we be, where it gets tricky is when people start to quantify those questions. And really what they start to do is ask questions where two parts of God's nature are now in conflict with one another. The classic theological conundrum, can God create a rock that is so big that even he can't lift it? That's the putting two of God's natures against one another, and those questions can be nonsensical. This is a really important, it's a really powerful question. Could God create a universe? I'm just going to make it a yes or no answer. Could he create a universe in such a way that his son, Jesus, would never have to die? Yes, he could, but you would not exist in that universe, nor would I. Because of what Pastor Chris has just said, Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin, say it again, church, is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And here's what the Bible says right out of the gate, that eternal life is only possible through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Of course, God didn't have to send his son, Jesus. Of course, God didn't have to create humans. Of course, God didn't have to make humans able to take the fruit commit the sin, and every one of us since Adam and Eve have followed in their footsteps except the Lord Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death. And here's the story of the Bible from Genesis 3 all the way to the end of Revelation. Somebody has to die now that there's sin. The problem is it can't be you because the sin sacrifice has to be pure and it has to be perfect. And you and I are no longer pure. You and I are no longer perfect. So the moment that Adam and Eve took that fruit and ate it, that set in motion the only way for this universe, in this universe where you and I could be acceptable to God, is that there has to be a pure, perfect, sinless sacrifice. And Jesus says, I'll do that. I'll do that on their behalf. And it was actually from the beginning of time that God knew this is what it was going to take for people to love me and for people to be able to spend eternity with me. Even the very end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, put it this way. All of the saints of God, all of the angels in heaven, they're all around the throne. They're all worshiping. And look at who they're worshiping and look at why they're worshiping. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain. Who are they talking about? Jesus. For you were slain, Jesus, and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, and the people and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth and some translations put, and they shall reign on earth forever. One of the parts of our DNA is to be a church that represents Romans or Revelation chapter 5. People from every tribe, every nation, every language, every tongue, every color of skin, every culture, every ethnicity, worshiping here on earth like we're going to worship in heaven. Can God create a universe where Jesus doesn't have to die? Yes, absolutely. But you don't exist in that universe, nor do I, nor does your sweet grandmother, nor does the Pope or any other good person, because you can't be good enough to get your way into heaven. And that's why this church, 
That's why the church of the Lord Jesus Christ on earth exists, to remind people you can't earn your way into heaven. Really what God expects is two things. We call these the two cities that this church is named for. Jesus puts it this way. God has two commandments. The greatest commandment is this, that you would love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, which comes from a heart that has been radically and totally changed. And the second commandment, that's the first city. The second commandment is the second city, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. And this week, we're going to challenge you like we did last week, two cities, to be willing to lay down your life and be willing to walk with Jesus this week. Be willing to love your neighbor and be willing to love God and make that very well known at work, at school, wherever you go, whatever you do this week. But maybe somebody is sitting there. Maybe you're at home and you're listening and you're thinking, you know, Jeff, I'm not a terrible guy. I mean, compared to my neighbor, compared to somebody in my family, what I've done is not nearly as bad as what they've done. And what I need you to hear from Romans chapter 6 is that the wages of sin is death. One sin, one time, and there is no other acceptable payment in God's sight then somebody's going to have to die. And Jesus was willing to leave heaven and come to earth and live the perfect sinless life that you couldn't live. He did that so that you would get credit in God's eyes for the perfect righteousness that he lived. And then he was willing to go to the cross and pay that payment. His death becomes the sacrifice to wipe your sin away. Basically, God has wiped away everything that you've ever done and given you credit for every good thing that, that Jesus has ever done. And when you surrender to him, when you ask Jesus to recreate your soul, the second thing on the screens, he wipes away all of the sin and God gives you credit for all of the good that Jesus has ever done. And when you stand in God's sight, you stand before him, not just morally neutral. You stand before him perfect because of what Jesus, your king, has done for you. And I'm going to ask us to pray. And then after that, we're going to show you a video with a couple of announcements. And then the three of us are going to go to YouTube, Facebook, and our live channel and try to answer some of the questions that you might have live right now. But before we do anything more, let's Get the most important thing out of the way. Let's pray and maybe somebody nails down a relationship with Jesus for the first time. God, we have come together to worship you. And Pastors Chris and Troy and I have tried to faithfully describe what sin is and the cost of sin. What it costs you. Not what it's cost us, but what sin has cost you. And Father, when something this great has happened to people, they cannot stop but talk about it. They want everyone to know that something amazing has happened to them. So first, for your people, would you cause them to be so excited about their faith? Would you cause them to be so thrilled about what Jesus has done for them that they can't stop telling people about it this week? That they love their neighbors by sharing with their neighbors, by serving their neighbors, by encouraging their neighbors. And they love you by telling other people about you. But God, I really pray that somebody's tuning in and they've basically been believing in a false religion that they can be good enough, that their good will outweigh their bad, and you'll accept them into heaven on those terms. 
And maybe for the first time in their life, God, right now, they've started to realize that's not how heaven works. And maybe somebody right here in this room or who's sitting there watching this online needs to go through this radical rebirth, this brand new transformation, this supernatural miracle that only you can do. God, would you cause somebody to cry out a prayer of faith that says, Father, forgive me. And God, I'm a sinner. And I see from the Bible, I deserve death, not just physical death, but eternal death, separation from you forever. But I also see right there in the same verse that you love me so much that you didn't leave me in my sin, that you sent your son Jesus to rescue me. And right now, right here between me and you, God, I am turning from my sins and I am turning to Jesus. I'm making him my king which means he calls the shots in my life. I'm just asking, would you change me? Would you clean me up? Would you make me into a new person? And God, I know if that prayer is coming from a sincere heart, that you hear it from heaven, and you do the greatest miracle of all times. You take what was dead, and you make it alive for the first time. So God, be glorified by what's happening right now in the hearts of your people. It's in Jesus' name that I pray this. Amen. Now, to prepare for us to answer some questions live, I want to show you a short video of a few announcements. It'll take about a minute and a half. And then after that, we're going to go ahead and go to your live questions, which means you still have about 90 seconds to put a question in if you want to. But check this video out real quick, will you? Hi, I'm Siobhan. And I'm Troy. And here's what you need to know before you go. This week in basic training, if you made it to this point and you went through all the weeks, congratulations on your graduation this week from basic training. This last week is producing leaders. And by doing, taking this module, you learn how to mentor someone else in Christ. It's not saying that you are a leader of a group or you're you taking charge or anything. You just find that person first. that don't know Christ or a loved one, a family member that is far away. You're just introducing them to God and then you just got in them through it. And as a leader, you set the example of the tone for the rest of the body through your giving. And we honor the Lord with our giving through our tithes and offerings here at Two City. You can do that in various ways. We have a drop-down box if you're watching online. Give in any way you see fit. If you're here in person, we have a wooden box that's right in the foyer that you can drop your offering into. Now, giving is not just about uh, giving to the church. It's more for your soul. You don't want that stronghold over you where the money is controlling you. Because giving is a part of worship, just the same as you sing along with the songs and you are praising God with your words and your actions. That's another way that we worship God is by giving. And right after these announcements, we're going to answer your questions live. And that's all you need to know before you go. Have a blessed week. I don't know about Facebook and YouTube, but I'm on our live channel, and there is a bunch of people tuned in and asking questions today. But we're going to start with Facebook. We're just going to kind of go this way. Okay, good. Um, I got lots of questions for you guys to help answer, but we're going to start with Facebook. Pastor Troy, anything come in on Facebook? And if so, what's the question? And I'll let you go ahead and answer it. It's one that reads, will a father go to hell for killing a man who molests his daughter? <laughs> I'm, I'm, All right. I'm pausing Come because on. this is 
this is one sin that really gets under my skin that really bothers me and upsets me um, just to my bones. I, ooh. But at the same time, so I'm trying to gather my thoughts after reading it, but at the same time, just trying to get myself out of this question. It's a terrible sin, and it's a sin that, that's worthy of it, but I don't have a heaven or a hell uh, to put anyone in, and All right. the statement doesn't specify, like, if he caught them in the act or something like that, it was premeditated along those lines, and this is a question that, it, it, going down the rabbit hole of it is a, is a reason a lot of people fall out with God and fall out with church because a person who committed this kind of sin still can come to know Christ mm-hmm. after the words. If you don't know the story of Jeffrey Dahmer, for those that don't know, Jeffrey Dahmer was a serial murderer, killer, and he would kill people, he would cook them and eat them, and when he was finally caught, he went to prison. And while he was in prison, he came to Christ. He accepted Christ. I, I saw the documentary on him. I just, for some reason, I just had a curiosity, like, what would make a person want to commit that, not only that many murders, but to eat another human being and still be in the right mind? So I was trying to kind of get to know him and found out from looking at that documentary and the story um, of him that he came to know Christ, and it's a possibility that when we all go to heaven, Jeffrey Dahmer will be there. And a lot of people can't grasp, understand yeah. that. Yeah. But if you were to flip that and say that's not right, then that makes us judge, jury, and executioner. And when we the judge, jury, and executioner, then we start doing things that we want to do, then we do this because we like this person, we don't like this person. We start to look at things differently than the way God looks at things. I don't profess to know everything um, about God or to know what goes into the thought process, but God to be able to accept someone that commits that kind of crime and then before they die, repent of that, of that crime or that sin and be accepted into heaven. Because God has the ability to do something that we can't, and that's the ability to mm-hmm. know someone's heart. No matter how much you confess to me or anyone else for that matter, we don't know if you mean what you're saying, but God does. And to me, that's the big difference, that you can commit some heinous crime and still be able to, to get into heaven because you confess and your confession was truthful, your confession was honest, and God will wipe away that sin. That's, that's a tough one to wrap our heads around, and I don't know, me personally, if, if I'm God, I would accept that from a person who does these kind of things, but that's the kind of God we serve, and we have to accept um, him for who he is. All right, a bunch of questions came in on our live channel. I'm going to send the first one to you, Pastor Chris. And here it is. How old were you? This is, I think they're asking this for a reason. How old were you when you accepted Christ? First part of the question. If you accept Christ, and I think that this means like, if somebody accepts Christ as a child, 
can they lose their salvation? Second mm. part of the question. So first part is your personal testimony. Second part of the question is, can you lose your salvation in general? And if in general, as a child, if you came to faith in Christ. Great. So we get to play uh, gotcha pastor. Yeah. Except you didn't because I didn't grow up in the church and I'm not a pastor's kid. Ha! So I came to faith at 25, well after college, well after high school, well after growing up. And my story is different in the sense that I explored a lot of religions throughout college and everything, but we don't have the half hour for my full testimony. Um, but our church did just drop his testimony on our social media channels a couple of weeks ago, so go check it out. There you go. You got the plug. Um, so I came to faith much later. Um, so I don't have a childhood to base on that other than that we went to church at Christmas and Easter. Yeah, sorry, Mom, I know you're watching. So, um, But... So it was part of my life, but, you know, it wasn't every Sunday. It wasn't going to Sunday school and those types of things. Did go to summer camps and VBSs probably for the same reason most people do, which is free child care. Mm -hmm. um, but some of that rubbed off, but it took 24 years to catch up. Um, so back to the other thing of, okay, so if you did come to faith early or, you know, you grew up in a household and you felt obligated or there's a lot of different reasons kids come to faith, especially at younger ages. Um, and... What happens if I stray or if I feel lost or everything? But first of all, I'm an eternal security guy um, from the sense that I do believe Scripture teaches us very clearly that once saved, always saved. And that comes back to what was that experience when you were a child? I can't tell you what that experience was for you. Pastor Troy can't tell you whether it was legitimate. Pastor Jeff can't tell you whether it's legitimate. And Pastor Chris can't tell you whether it's legitimate. That is between you and God and the Holy Spirit and just all those things. So if... You were three and you had a, you believe you had an honest conversation with God, then you probably had an honest conversation with God and your security is eternal. Because I hate to break it to you all, but we're all going to stray. We're all going to have a, at least one bad day, if not multiple bad years, bad months, bad weekends, whatever. That part of this journey is we're, we're not Jesus. We're not God, which means... We are covered by the blood, but we're going to have bad days. And I'm here to tell you, first of all, that's okay. Yeah. Um, so, but losing your salvation, I don't believe that's something that, that, that's not possible. That if you had a conversation that God's abundance and grace covers all, that even if we fall, his grace is still yeah. better than anything that we can mess up, which... So the flip side of kind of what Troy was just talking about, we have a really bad day and we kill someone, but we had a good, we had that conversation with God. Guess where we're going? We're going to be in eternity. And I understand why people look at that logically and go, none of this makes sense, Pastor Chris. Well, we're talking about a God that did something that, quite frankly, to us didn't make sense. Yeah. But that's why it's so amazing. And I'm so thankful because I'm pretty messed up. So I'm glad that we have a Savior that provides that level of grace. Um, for everybody who submitted a question ahead of time, um, especially the ones that we're dealing with today, we have put in the mobile app on the sermon page for today a link for a PDF. Click that link. It's right there in the page on the sermon or in the mobile app. 
And there's a PDF with lots of other information, some articles, some sermons, some books that you might want to read about the topics that you're hearing today. At the top of each one of those sections, check this out, y'all. There is a link to a middle-of-the-week broadcast that we call Midweek Worship around here. We have been teaching theology for literally two or three years every single week, and we do it in a form that you can tune in and watch it sometimes online. The reason why I'm plugging midweek worship right now is because several of you are asking literally questions that I just answered about a week ago or a month ago or three months ago in that broadcast. There are 150 episodes of midweek worship with big theological topics and the questions that people typically wrestle with in our, or on our YouTube page and in our sermon archives. So go out there and check those out. Lots more questions online on our live channel. Um, here's the next one. I'll answer this one. And then if there, if there are more on Facebook, we'll go back to you. Um, most of these questions have to do with sin and God's grace and about evil and all of that. But somebody asked a question, and actually I know who this was. This is a stump the pastor question. If the book of Revelation teaches that everyone is resurrected, Revelation chapter 20, stands before the great white throne of God and is judged, everybody on heaven, everybody in hell, everybody on the earth, even under the earth, in the water, when Jesus is on the cross... And that thief that is next to him says, remember me. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Where is that guy? When Jesus says, today you will be with me. If the great white throne judgment hasn't happened from Revelation chapter 20, where did he go? And this is a really good question because it gets to the eternal state instead of the intermediate state. So you have right now, the soul, the state of the human soul after you die. Some human souls will go to hell. Some human souls will go to heaven. But the body isn't connected to the soul right now. In Revelation chapter 20, the body and the soul catch up. And then the body and soul stand before God. This is the final judgment. And if you read the language of what the Bible says next, those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, listen to this, even the guy who killed the man who molested his daughter, if his name is in the book of life, they, are in, they enter into heaven, they spend the rest of eternity, this is what the Bible describes next, in the new Jerusalem, here on earth, in God's presence forever. Everyone's name who's not found in that book is cast into the lake of fire. And the book of Revelation says, this is the second death and it never ends, separated from God forever, along with all of those evil angels and everything else that denied God, disrespected God, blew him off for a lifetime, will spend eternity separated from him. So where is that guy that was on the cross with him, with Jesus? Well, his body right now is dissolving into dust in the ground, but his soul is right now in paradise with him. And in Revelation 20, the body and the soul will connect once again, and he will live body and soul with Jesus in paradise or the new Jerusalem for the rest of eternity. That's where that person is right now. And that's what theologians call the intermediate state before the beginning of eternity. 
before the great white throne judgment? Great question. Um, did anything else come in on the Facebook channel? Yes. Because I got a bunch <laughs> more here if you don't. I have one, but I'm still, I, I was looking at the Bible I have on the iPad. It reads, reading Zechariah chapter 6, days that the branch um, is Joshua, son of Jehozadak. How many branches are there then in Scripture that refers to a Savior or the Savior? And so I was reading, trying to read the Scripture on that. Before, as you was reading that, yeah. it's in chapter six, beginning at verse eleven. It talks about this Joshua is a high priest at the time, and it talks about branches and through that branch that the Savior will come. And it has no reference to if it's Jesus or it's just priest that's along that line that's preparing the way for Jesus to come. And this one doesn't stand out as one of those markers as a line yeah. um, that, meaning when I say a line, I'm talking about a prophecy in the Old Testament that's fulfilled in the New Testament. This one is not tied to that. So I would say I'm not sure. Reading I, it off, I was going to say, hand. that's the, the right answer right now to your question yeah. is, uh, can we get back to you on that? Because it sounds like we need to do a little bit of Bible research on this one. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And just so you know, every question that doesn't get answered live, we will answer eventually in a form of a video and we'll post it out there. So every question is going to get answered. But that one sounds like it needs a little bit of research before we answer it. All right, I have a bunch more that came in on the live channel. Here's the next question. I'll ta tackle this one, then you get the one after that. Why did God create humans to be so easily tempted? Okay, he didn't. The first human beings, and this is almost impossible for our minds right now on this side of Genesis chapter 3 to understand. The first human beings had absolutely nothing in their DNA that prompted them or caused them to take the fruit and eat it. Since then, every human being's DNA has been distorted by sin, and all of us have this natural tendency towards sin, meaning you will sin at some point in your life. If you live long enough, more than just a minute or two, you will sin. And even if you don't commit actual sin, you were born into your parents' sin. But the first two people, this is what makes Genesis chapter three so tragic. There was nothing in their DNA that prompted them to do this. And I'll make it even worse. They had everything that you could ever possibly imagine. Number one on the list, total, complete intimacy with their creator. And still they took the fruit. And still they ate it. It wasn't easy for them to do that. It's easy for us to do it. But the first two people that God created, everything should have prompted them not to sin. And they did it anyway. Which naturally leads to the next question, and this one's for you. Did God, and this is a great question because it gets back to sin, and when did this happen, and how did this happen? It's a multifaceted question. Did God not know that Adam and Eve would sin? If he did know, 
why did he go ahead and create people that would sin, which caused all of this suffering in humanity? And here's the third part of this question, and every one of these are hard to answer. Is he a loving God if he knew that that was going to happen and he did it anyway? Boom. Why? I did not ask the question. I'm just delivering the mail. You, okay. You, okay. All right. Notice I took the easy one and gave you this one. <sighs> so glad to be back. Uh, let's start. We got three parts here. So let's start at the beginning. Yes. Pun fully intended. Um, or I guess I could start at the end and is that love? Well, I think we could definitely argue that um, it's not love, but we're talking about God's understanding of love and his existence and what justice means and all these words have definitions, so that's important. But So yeah, did God not know that his creation would sin? Well, God knows everything. I hate to break that to you. And this is where things become complicated. And this is another one of those things where I'm going to give you the piece that's important here is there's lots of different schools of thoughts within yeah. theology in terms of how this works. So Pastor Chris believes in something that is called Molinism or middle knowledge, which I'm going to now have to give Pastor Jeff a resource for so that we can add that to our list of things. Yes. Um, because this is not simple, but I'm going to try to do the short, 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 short version. Um, in four minutes or less. Hopefully less. But what middle knowledge ascribes to is this reality of, again, as human beings, we try to place God into a human being box, which means that we see things usually in a linear fashion, which means we can only generally look backwards. As far as I'm aware, most of us within the last 2,000 plus years have not been able to look forward. Um, so that means that we want things to be in a perfect straight line, right? We want to understand mm -hmm. these things. Well, God doesn't look at anything in his creation in this way. You'll often hear the term that God is outside of time, but also is time. That should make your head hurt because it is. One of the ways I've heard it explained is we look at a timeline and we go right. It goes from left to right. God looks at a timeline and he's up here looking down at it somewhere uh -huh. and literally can view Sees all of it. it in an instant, but also a moment in an instant. And this is what middle knowledge basically is. And some of you that may enjoy reading way too many things about things like quantum physics and whatnot, it kind of leans into this theory of that at any given moment in time, there are infinite possibilities and infinite outcomes. You and I have absolutely no way to comprehend what that means. But a perfect creator God can absolutely look at an entire instance of infinity and a moment in time and know infinite possibilities and outcomes simultaneously. Hold on. I just went to the Spider-Verse for just a second. You did. Go ahead. Um, so, yeah, if you're really bored, I'll talk to you afterwards that technically uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Badness actually explains Molinism because it's very close to multiple universes pre-existing and then choices in the moment actually create them is exactly what that movie is about. And that's what I'm sort of trying to explain to you. Um, but that's why this is hard to understand. But God literally looks at a moment in time and knows that all infinite possibilities are capable, which means when free will occurs, because free will can still exist yeah. in a yeah. universe where God knows everything, yeah means that the moment that I decide to drop my phone or not drop my phone, God knows all the things that could occur. 
and the literal millisecond, nanosecond, whatever measurement of time that that occurs, God knows that it happened. Clear as mud, right? But this is one of those things that actually helps us understand, but also look at it and go, this is why human beings have looked at God for so long and gone, I don't get it. So for me, that's how we can actually practically explain the realities of, of course, God knows it all things, but free will still exists in yeah. that system. Yeah. So second part, uh, and went ahead and created resulting in suffering anyway. Well, obviously, God doesn't want that for any of us. And so, again, all the infinite possibilities were unfolding as Eve was going back and forth with the serpent, deciding what was going to occur. He was also looking at all of the pieces. Does he want any of those things for us? Absolutely not. But it occurred. And then we have the realities of Genesis 3 and then Genesis 6, 6 and forward. So we talked about God has empathy because he hates that that's what we, we chose, unfortunately. Again, God didn't do that to us. We did that to us. And so it's not that he wants these things for us. In fact, the beauty of the Bible and the true reality of the gospel is as soon as it happened, he knew how he was going to fix it. Yeah. How amazing is that? Is not just that, of course, he doesn't want that to happen, but allows us to still make mistakes, but that he, in the same infinite possibility moment, decided how he was going to fix it and fix it perfectly. And that's why when you start pulling apart all the different pieces here, you just go, that's an amazing God. And it's one that's hard for us to comprehend and understand, but what's neat is there's some really smart people who aren't named Pastor Chris, Troy, or Jeff that have written really long books that explain these complications in either more confusing ways or in easier ways, but I hope I can give you an example of that. So in the end, is that love? Yes, because he ultimately decides to give his only son to us to reconcile us back, that we made the biggest mistake possible and he, in that infinite moment, decided how he was going to fix it, and it was going to be through sacrificing yeah. his only son. Thank you for bringing us back to the cross. Anytime somebody asks about the love of God, the only way to answer that question is at the cross. If you want to know, is that a loving God, all you got to do is look to the cross. Um, gentlemen, thank you for your work um, preparing some answers this week. Church, I want to say uh, pronounce a blessing over you, and then we're going to go ahead and close this broadcast. But again, would you just go ahead and lift your hands and your head up to heaven? We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.